VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I'm joined by Stuart Robson, Tom Dart, and out in the great Northeast, Mr. George Colkin. This week, we'll be taking a look at the third round of the FA Cup sponsored by Eon. Stevenage Borough of League Two beat Newcastle United 3-1 in a repeat of the 1998 clash. A repeat, I say, but with a slightly different result. And, of course, Manchester United knocked Canada Leash's Liverpool out of the cup. We'll have our usual quick hits feature where our panelists will share their views, and you can find out if Stuart Robson would rather spend time with Neil Warnock or Elhaz Juf. And in our debate, we're sticking with the oldest and greatest knockout competition of them all the Football Association Challenge Cup, sponsored by E.ON. So please stick with us for the next 35 minutes or so. No Premier League review this week because it's the FA Cup. And I, there were a number of upsets this week, but I, I, I want to focus on one because there's a bit of history there. Um, and at Stevenage against Newcastle now, my own personal recollection. Um, and we've been in this country a few years, and I remember all the excitement of that mighty Newcastle side taking on what at the time was uh, was little Stevenage with, uh, uh, with a striker of Italian descent, Giuliano Grazioli up front, and then they go to... Uh, uh, they go to a replay, and supposedly years later, we've established that Alan Shearer's goal shouldn't have stood, and yada, yada, yada. Thirteen years later, Stevenage made everything seem far easier, didn't they, George? They did, yeah, they did. It was, um, I mean, I wasn't there, but it was uh, depressing viewing what I, what I did see from a Newcastle perspective. Uh, Stevenage fully deserved, fully, fully deserved to win. Um, Newcastle just weren't at the races, and... Uh, you sort of feel well that was a performance from a team who who kind of aren't bothered or weren't trying or it looked less fit looked less up for it and you know Newcastle's story is kind of is, a, is about the opposite really this season so it's a very difficult one to explain but then the whole season's been a very difficult one to explain Newcastle put out uh, a reasonable team I thought uh, despite the fact that uh, the big derby's coming up uh, next week did, did, did was there anything to suggest that Pardew's not really bothered or that he doesn't mind going out so he can focus on the league well I mean you know it's it's uh, it's uh, absolutely the case that they have one priority this season and that's to stay up I mean as, as is, is always the case with promoted teams I mean that's and you know whether whether the fact that they've they've put so much focus and concentration on that that performance levels you know dipped in the in the cup game because of that I mean that's that's a point you can make but certainly um, you know no excuses they were a bit beaten by a far better team the team that Newcastle put out should have been um, easily strong enough uh, easily strong enough to take care of business. Um, 
yes, they they had Andy Carroll missing, but um, you know Leon Best, who who scored a hat trick against West Ham, was was awful, um, and you know nobody else came out came out of it with any glory either, really, including including Pardew, who who kept Czech TLT on the bench to sort of protect him, and then of course brought him on with fairly fairly disastrous consequences when he was sent off. Stuart, I think there's something like 74 places between mm. um, between these two teams. I mean, when we see something like like this, um, does it maybe suggest that the gap between Premier League and, and League Two isn't as big as we saw, or is it more of a case that on a one-off day, you know, Graham Wesley can do a great job and lift his players while Newcastle just don't get going? I think it's a, it's a, it's a really poor and disgusting performance from Newcastle. They should have enough players, they should have enough motivation to beat a team from Division 2 in, in, in Stevenage. Stevenage played well on the day, but I think there was a lot of fear in Newcastle's performance. When managers pick slightly weakened sides, I don't think it's because they want to protect people. Sometimes it's because they, they're, they're fearful that if they put their full team out, they might still lose the game and they don't put in a performance. You know, they, There wasn't enough heart in there, there wasn't enough effort, and, and Pardew didn't organise the team well enough to, to put in a good performance against a, a team that they should easily beat, whatever team they put out. Tom, are you buying this, or do you, are you going to be the one person who gives a little bit of credit to uh, Graham Wesley with his with his yoga and his breathing techniques and all that stuff? Yeah, he was uh, uh, overconfident to the point of arrogance in the build-up, uh, virtually predicting a Stevenage win, and uh, that turned out to be justified as he somehow imbued his players with a sense of spirit and belief that was completely lacking in in Newcastle's uh, performance. Now, I was at the game and the uh, you could just sense with the, the crowd, the closeness of the stands, on top of the players almost in that strangely intimidating way that a small packed ground can be. It was incredibly noisy. The longer the game went on, Newcastle looked less and less like scoring. You could just sense there was something brewing and then after a goalless first half when uh, Stevenage got the slight of luck they needed which was a hugely deflected goal after that Newcastle's spirit was completely broken and that was uh, apart from Joey Barton who still worked hard and scored a great goal at the end uh, there's pretty much nothing there and Stevenage just tactically uh, out outwitted Newcastle they had young fullbacks Newcastle the ball kept being played in behind them they were naive uh, Stevenage were a lot cleverer a lot cuter uh, outsmarted Newcastle outbattled them hungrier to every ball and Newcastle at the end were, were just a broken team and you have to give a lot of credit to the Stevenage manager for setting his team up to have the belief and the tactical nous to uh, to achieve a dominant uh, victory. Stevenage's big day was, in some ways, some of the gloss was taken off by what happened. Uh, by what happened afterwards, um, if you haven't seen it, there's plenty of video out there on on YouTube or, in fact, on my Twitter feed. Uh, this guy holding a Stevenage uh, scarf runs onto the pitch, um, approaches uh, the fullback Scott Laird says something we don't know what it was but you would have thought oh look he's there to celebrate since all these people are run onto the pitch and and instead he um he basically whacks him in the head uh, in a club statement that later emerged that laird was knocked unconscious doesn't remember any of this um and then disappeared in the ground now there's some suggestions he's going to turn himself in now um but i was just wondering i mean is this a bit of a reminder that you know Pitch invasions look kind of cool. It's kind of fun if you're running onto the pitch, but then you are talking about crowds and potential nutters, and for a guy to go and hit somebody on his own team, it's quite unusual, no? (laughs) (laughs) Almost unprecedented. Uh, uh, Good good job Stevenage didn't lose. But maybe, uh, I might be wrong, but I would imagine that cup ties like this, 
you do get some people going to the game that don't normally yeah. go to the game. So it could be anybody. It might not be a, a real Stevenage supporter. It might be just somebody who's turned up for the day because it's a it's a full house or they can get you can get in. It's a great game for him, and he turns out has too many drinks and then acts stupidly afterwards. Mm. The, the scarf he had was a commemorative half Newcastle colours, half Stevenage colours scarf, which is a kind of mm. thing diehard fans don't necessarily buy, but you buy if you're going for on your, a one, your one football match per season for a one-off game uh, there was actually uh, the attritional atmosphere between the sets of fans uh, which and a very boisterous Stevenage support which made made the upset more possible and really added to the the noise and the excitement did spill over into a bit of unpleasantness after the uh, after final whistle when after trying to keep the uh, Stevenage fans off the pitch and stewards you had stewards pushing fans back onto the terraces and wrestling with fans eventually probably a couple of hundred did did spill on the pitch and there are the, the ridiculous scenes you do get of you know 10 year old 10 uh, year old kids making hand gestures to the away fans as they file out and people forget that there was that there was real bad blood between the mm-hmm. between the teams after that earlier FA Cup game and you know New, Newcastle fans sort of do feel that that was part of you know the long running long running suggestion that they get sort of misrepresented in the media and so on and so forth that um Stevenage were actually very clever in uh, and sort of getting the getting winning the publicity battle, suggesting that Newcastle were arrogant for wanting to get the game switched back then, and of course, Stevenage had had a game switched to Birmingham um, the season before because of safety concerns. But they Newcastle kind of felt Newcastle was sort of portrayed as being arrogant and, and aloof and bullies. From their perspective, you know, Kenny Dalglish was the manager. He'd been at Hillsborough. Their concerns were genuine, and it sort of all left a it, it left a very sour taste in in everyone's mouth. What what happened uh, over in 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 '98, and clearly that was that was lingering at the weekend. It wasn't helped by their manager at the time, was it? Paul Fairclough, who sort of uh, revved everything up for Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the uh, neat things about uh, the FA Cup is that it, you can take uh, what most other weeks of the season would be the single biggest game um, between uh, the two best supported sides in in England and it kind of becomes rather less significant because well it's the FA Cup Uh, I'm talking about Manchester United against Liverpool where I I think the the game was probably overshadowed by the fact that 19 years 10 months and 20 days after he uh, last took a seat on the uh, on the Liverpool bench uh, Kenny Dalglish was back. Now, we've talked a lot about Liverpool in recent weeks. I I just want to get from, from you guys your view as Dalglish is the interim manager. He's going to make sure the team doesn't get relegated. He's going to inject some enthusiasm um, and basically keep the seat warm for you know the big appointment that's going to come in the summer. That That's the... That's we're led to believe that's the strategy from the club. Um, as a strategy, what do you make of this, Stuart? Well, I mean, if you can't get the right manager now, you have an interim manager. Kenny Dalglish hasn't been around for quite some while. Uh, he obviously has been watching a lot of the, the Liverpool games. Uh, you'd have thought they needed a coaching, but if, you, if you're going to stop the, the team or make the team start winning, you need a coach. But obviously Liverpool feel it's just they need some inspiration. Whenever you go in as a manager, you need the crowd support. Roy Hodgson didn't have that, so when results started to go, they were always going to get on his back. Kenny Dalglish, no matter what he does, they're going to be right behind him and the atmosphere at Anfield will be better and that will probably inspire the players but you've got to ask the players if they start playing well under Kenny Dalglish I think it, you've got to look at the players and say well why weren't they playing quite so well and quite so, so, so enthusiastically for Roy Hodgson because 
I'm just going to posit an answer here to wind you up, maybe because the things Doug Leach says make more sense and because he plays players in the real positions and there's a better uh, vibe about the club. Did you see a more inspired performance from Torres yesterday because Kenny Dalglish was there? It's the first game of the new year. Lay off Torres. Come on. <laughs> right. Uh, we don't want to get bogged down in this, but um, uh, George, you, you saw Dalglish uh, up close, of course, when he was a when he was at Newcastle as well. Um, one thing that strikes me is, inside, I wonder, is there a risk that from from the owner's perspective that, that he could be uh, could be victims of, the, of their own success? And what I mean by that is, what if Dalglish goes and you know leads Liverpool to win the Europa League or, or, or gets them into a Champions League spot and then decides, hey, you know what? I don't actually want to leave. And, you know, why don't Kamali go away instead? And why don't I run the club? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. I mean, it's uh, it's all very well saying, saying that this is a sort of a, a temporary appointment. But if things go well... They will find it very difficult to change things come the end of come the end of the season. I don't think Dalglish would want to go, and I don't think fans would want him to go either. I, I mean, I did see a lot of him up here. It was quite funny. In in some ways, he was the Roy Hodgson <laughs> figure at Newcastle. You know, he came in to replace <laughs> Kevin Keegan, who was the Dalglish at Newcastle. I was I was pleased as a romantic. I was pleased to see him come back. I mean, I, I, um, you know, whether it works or whether it doesn't work, I don't know. But you can. You could feel the lift, even even from the distance that I'm sitting at, that it gave to a club and and a city. And you don't see that, you don't see or feel that often enough. So, you know, the, the romantic in me hopes it works well. As what happened when Keegan came back to Newcastle for the second time, the game has moved on, the game has changed, and you know that that didn't work in the end. Although that had a lot to do with the people, with the people upstairs. Uh, moving on to the game itself, uh, United, I thought. We couldn't really be bothered and said, eh, you know, we could maximum results, minimum efforts, uh, a bunch of guys out. But the game obviously turned almost straight away. Um, Dimitar Berbatov, um, challenged by Daniel Agger, uh, goes down. What struck me was on television, he says, well, you know, Dr. Agger, bad defending, and, and there's contact there, you know, you know, you can't do that, so there's contact, so it's a penalty. Um, I'm just wondering, did, did, has there been a rule change recently where like contact equals foul that I, that I don't know about? <laughs> well, first of all, it was poor defending by Agger to allow the ball to be played. Yeah, over well, the we all him. agree this that, that Agger was then poor he, defending then he got from Agger. But Berbatov goes down, he dives actually after contact's been made. There was, there's no question about it. It should not have been a penalty. Absolutely not a penalty in my view. Corkin. You agree? There was contact, which uh, in the in the box means a penalty. I mean, I, I mean, I, I contact can't defend... in the box means a penalty. Well, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> he 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 had his foot tripped or tapped or taken away or however you want to call it, and he he went down. I don't know if that. I, I mean, I don't think anybody covered themselves in glory in that in that in that instance. Yes, it was a dive, but yes, there was yes there was contact from Agaron Berbatov, however minimal it was. Tom? I think it was a terrible decision. Uh, it seems like we're at the point now where a defender cannot chase after an attacker because the, as soon as they get close, the attacker will go down and it will be a, fa- a penalty if it's in the box or possibly a red card if uh, it's a potential one-on-one. So you get to the point where defenders have to be facing uh, forwards to have any chance of tackling them because once once they're running after the, the forward, uh, they just can't get anywhere near him. Otherwise, the forward will go down, and that's a uh, that's a ridiculous situation. Well, well, what was interesting about this, and we'll get to Mr. Ryan Bobble and Twitter in a minute, uh, is that the linesman who was on the near side, who's looking straight at it, he doesn't think it's a penalty. He does nothing. Howard Webb was on the other side of the pitch. 
calls uh, whistles for the penalty. Now, I, I'm just wondering, given that surely Howard Webb's perspective was worse than the others, and I just mm -hmm. wonder about this guy because we heard in the World Cup final about how he didn't want to spoil the game by sending anybody off and yada, yada, yada. Now he goes and he gives a first-minute penalty. Obviously, he must have been 100% convinced ah, that that was a penalty. Well, you've said exactly right. You have to be 100% convinced to give a penalty or to give a sending off or give whatever you're going to... Not much faith in his, in, his, in his assistant there, then. But he cannot be been because there was such minimal contact. How could he have actually seen that contact from where he was? It was, it was minimal. He's Howard Webb, he has superhuman powers. George, the, uh, the, the Jared sending off, I mean, obviously at that point... I got the sense without Liverpool's best player and a goal down away from home and it's the only the FA Cup. I, I thought that was basically the end of the game in, in, in some ways, although, of course, score-wise, it, it, it certainly wasn't. Um, fair decision? Well, that's a, it's another big talking point, isn't it? Um, it's, uh, and, and one that we saw with Tiote as well at the weekend when a player leaps in, wins the ball, and you'll have half of people saying afterwards, well, that was a clear sending off. You'll, you'll get another half of people saying, no, it wasn't, he, he won the ball. And it's it's one area that, which is still open to sort of interpretation by referees because what they're doing is not necessarily, you know, is not making any value ju judgment on the fairness of, of the tackle in terms of winning the ball. It's whether the player lost control. Now, Gerard, like Tiotto, was, was off the ground. He was a long way off the ground. It was a one-footed tackle, but um, if that tackle had been mistimed, um, it could have caused a huge amount of damage. I mean, I have to say I'm a little bit conf conflicted on whether it was a sending off or not. A few years ago, I think he would have got away with it. Um, but it's it's something that that, is, that does appear to be being clamped down upon very uh, very quickly this season. The you know the whole idea that players have to be sort of in control of their ch challenges at all at all times. Stuart. Well, uh, yes, George is right, but the unfortunate thing is that Gerard didn't get the ball. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was I think Carrick who just nicked the ball away, uh, and Gerard caught him. It was late, it was studs up. But the one thing I was going to mention, Howard Webb cannot be 100% sure of that tackle because he wasn't watching. I did the game and I saw four or five replays when the tackle was made. The referee, Howard Webb, hadn't turned his head round in time to see the tackle. So how he made the decision, I do not know, unless somebody else, the, the assistant referee, made the decision for him. So he made a decision on, on an incident he didn't properly see. United, fourth round of FA Cup, still undefeated this season. And um, just imagine if they actually start playing very well. All right, time for the debate and the FA Cup. And it seems that all the time we hear talk about, like, the magic of the FA Cup and this and that. Is it gone? Is it still with us? Uh, some people posit the theory that the FA Cup is now rubbish because, uh, except for Portsmouth, uh, the, the same big four teams have won it every single year for the past 15 seasons. Other people take that as evidence that the FA Cup is great because uh, the big teams take it seriously and, and actually go and win it. Um, I want to start out by something um, pleasant. Um, I want to hear George's favorite FA Cup memory. Well, I'm not going to give you what you want because I don't really have any, I have to say. This is the first time since 1960 that the North East has not had a football team in the fourth round of the FA Cup. I'm not going to say anything nice or, or, or ple pleasant or whimsical today, if you don't mind. <laughs> nothing optimistic. No problem. Nothing nice. Nothing happy. Uh, Tom, I'm sure you can cheer us up with some with some wonderful story of being passed over people's heads on the terraces back when you were a child at some FA Cup tie. Uh, not quite. I think my 
favourite memories, a bit more recent, uh, I'll go for Wickham Wanderers uh, 2001, their great cup run to the uh, semi-finals where they narrowly lost to Liverpool at, at Villa Park. Uh, I think it had everything. Wickham Wanderers managed by? Laurie Sanchez. Ah, there you go. That it was, it was, that was just great fun. For the neutral, perhaps, uh, just like Chesterfield in 1997 when they were uh, cruelly denied by a dodgy refereeing decision from David Ellery. Uh, in the semis this is a great story I mean it's not entirely true is it that Essendon was signed after an appeal on teletext uh, by Wickham for a striker and this kind of non-league journeyman turned up and then he scored the winner and is on his debut for the club with a I think it was his debut with a header uh, to beat Leicester of the Premier League while you might remember from TV Laurie Sanchez the manager being sent to the uh, sent from the stands for complaining and then watched the game on TV in a tiny room As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. And then you see him celebrating wildly like a fan with clenched fists when Essendon scores and yeah, the stories afterwards. Because yeah, the Cup is about, it's about underdogs, it's about great stories, the build-up, you know. And this was just a, a great story, even if you have to take the idea of a striker being signed after a teletext appeal with a, <laughs> probably a salt cellar rather than a pinch of salt. It was still great fun and they but gave, they gave Tom, Liverpool a real go in the semi. Sometimes, Tom, there's more truth in, in urban myths than there is in, uh, in, in reality. Stuart... You must have played in the odd FA Cup game. I certainly did, and that I was going to mention one that I played when I was only 18, and it was the best atmosphere. I didn't get to a cup final. We played Manchester United. This was playing for Arsenal. We played Manchester United in the semi-final at Villa Park in front of 55,000 people. You turned up at two o'clock to, or about half past one to walk on the pitch. The ground was three quarters full at that stage. The noise, the uh, I wouldn't say the camaraderie between the fans. Cause I think there was a lot of trouble at the game, but the atmosphere and the tension, I've never felt so great. I mean, unfortunately, we lost the game and I was stretched off at half time. But in terms of, you know, feeling good about a day, and this is what football is all about. That's the best atmosphere I've ever played in. You know, with the FA Cup, you know, we we, we get romantic about that, and you know. Uh, you talked about Arsenal and United. Where it today, odds are, you know, fans would have would have seen Arsenal United live on television in in, in their two Premier League uh, uh, Premier League clashes. Um, I, I, I get the sense that you know our attention is so much more diffused because of the four or sometimes five live Premier League games on on television. FA Cup weekend rolls around. There's the Champions League. There's there's Barcelona, Real Madrid on TV every single week. And it's very rarely boring. 
have we just become sort of a um, just just much much more diffuse? In my view, the FA Cup has lost uh, spectators. It's lost everything because of money. There's more money in the Barclays Premier League. That's why everybody, the clubs want to do well in it. Uh, the fans get their season tickets for their for whether it be in the Championship. They don't. They have to pay extra to go and watch an FA Cup tie. Um, and and the managers of the Premier League diffuse it by by not playing their full teams. You only get. But one you say that, but then but then they always win it. The top, the top four teams. So you're talking about managers in like sort of the uh, mid-table In the mid-table, the Boltons, and, and I'm not so much Bolton now, we're under Owen Khan, but under Megson, the play the reserves. Blackpool, I mean, I'm sorry, I just don't understand Ian Holloway's view to actually say, I don't care about it, I don't care whether we lose, my priority is the Barclays Premier League. If you've got enough players in your squad, then you should be rotating all the time and you should be able to put out a team that can give a performance against Southampton rather than the manager saying, I don't want to win this game. How does that how do the fans feel about it? How does the chairman, the chief executive, feel about that? That you are not putting your greatest effort into a football match or one-off game that could take you into the next round. If you lose in the league, you've got another chance of winning a game and getting back up the table. You lose in the cup, that's it. It's gone. And I think that is really conning the fans. George? I think it's, it's, well, it, it does show how things have how things have changed. I mean, I, I, agree, with, I agree with Stuart. I was at... You know, I was at Sunderland on Saturday, which was a theme of another inverted commas giant killing. Um, third round day in the FA Cup used to be one of the sort of standout fixtures of the of the football calendar. It would always be something you look forward to. Now I went to Sunderland on Saturday, knowing that the Stadium of Light was going to be have thirty thousand empty seats, and to be honest, I came away from that not feeling sort of enthusiastic about the FA Cup, not feeling enthusiastic about what I'd seen, but actually feeling fairly you know, fairly depressed. Um, Notts County were superb and their fans were superb, don't get me wrong, and they fully deserved to win, but um, the atmosphere was flat. Um, and, you know, sort of hearing Sunderland players say say afterwards, you know, look, if we have a good season in the league, then people w- will have forgotten all about this. And in some ways, that's, you know, that's, that's the point. Uh, people shouldn't be forgetting all about this. Uh, the same applies to Newcastle, same applies to all the other teams we've gone out. It shouldn't be a source of... Oh, we'll get over this in a week's time. Let's move on. It should be a source of real pain and real, George, in, in, real in, in, anguish. A little while ago, uh, Steve Bruce would be under pressure losing to a team so low as Notts County. Yeah, but Alan Pardew would be under pressure for losing to Stevenage. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying that's how the FA Cup has been demoted by people because they're saying, oh, well, as long as we stay in the Barclays, that's fine. I mean, I made this analogy earlier to, 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 to uh, Stuart. Um, in the late 70s, there were only three channels of television in this country, right? And, and BBC Two, nobody watched. So the next morning, you'd walk up, go to the shops, and there's a 50% chance that they watch the same thing you watched last night on television, either on ITV or on BBC One, right? And and so that forms part of your, that's your water cooler moment, that, that, that forms part of your shared experience. Today, there's so many more options, and... People just watch different things. But there aren't because the clubs, the Premier League clubs are effectively conspiring to reduce the number of options because they only care about the Premier League and the Champions League. So you get to a point where Carling Cup, even the Europa League is virtually irrelevant for the clubs who are in it because they just don't care. There should be more options 
and more variety but there's actually less because you have the the mid-table Premier League clubs who get don't care and get knocked out leaving it just the big boys with the, the bigger better squads to just cream off the uh, the competition and win it every year and at the same time the redu- re- reducing the appeal because the shock value is lessened if you're beating Blackpool reserves and so therefore in the end Southampton who beat Blackpool on Saturday will care less about it because it's less important so you have a, a kind of a downward spiral as was the case in the Carling Cup and still is which is actually self-destructive because we know that only five or six teams can ever win the Premier League where in theory as it's a knockout competition where if you play well on the day all 20 Premier League clubs ought to be able to win it instead no George I'm assuming I mean you, you, you were at Sunderland I'm assuming that uh, obviously fans had to pay for that game because and it wasn't included in a season ticket package if if, if there was an all powerful um, Richard Scudamore or, or figure like that who said hey Premier League teams you have to include FA Cup games in your season ticket subscription uh, might that be better might, might, might that be mean that you know, Sunderland would have had more of a full house and the fans just by the fact that they're there might have been more interested well, yeah, there are all sorts of logistical reasons why that why that um, doesn't doesn't happen. In, you know, including the gate receipts that go to the other team and and so on and so forth. We're in the middle of a recession. Ticket prices are extremely high. I mean, that's that's another thing. You know, even Premier League Premier League supporters are being squeezed hugely by their by their clubs. Uh, you know, some some of them's ticket prices are, are pretty reasonable on a national level, but still in a you know, in northeast terms, are still are still pricey, um, and you know, it's it's a shame. You know, you see, you see what happened at Stevenage, where you've got a full ground, you've got the loyal away supporters who who go everywhere, and you've got a really buzzing atmosphere, and you've kind of got the opposite when it's put in uh, the reverse circumstances. I mean, if if sort of all Premier League teams had to play their third round games away from home. Um, you know, we'd be thinking, what a great, vibrant competition this is. Everyone takes it seriously, but you know, um, Premier League, Premier League f- football fans are, are being asked to uh, so cough out huge amounts of money. By George, I think maybe Colkin has it. I mean, what you just said there, I, I, I believe they did it in. They, they, they do it in Germany. They certainly used to do it in Germany. Why don't they just play every game um, on you know, whoever finished lower in the pyramid gets to play at home? My, is that something that might? revive things a little bit i suppose you also want to kind of preserve the sort of the purity of the competition which is that anybody can get drawn against anybody um mm. home or away that's a, that's a case of the luck of the draw although as we know games have been switched in the past for for reasons of of, of stadia and and things like that i mean it would certainly it does feel like we're approaching a point where something is going to have to happen you know we're, we're talking this season about the fa cup being played on the same day as Premier League games, or the same weekend as Premier League games, and gradually and slowly, the um, you know the, the, the sort of the sanctity of the competition is being is being destroyed or undermined, and it feels like yeah, we are at a point. George, where... George, when was what, what was Sunderland's best moment in their recent history? Well, it was the 1973 FA, FA Cup win, if, uh, if, if that counts because as recent. Because teams like Sunderland aren't going to win the Barclays Premier. They're not going to win a major competition unless it's the FA Cup or the League Cup. Um, I want to throw something else out, which I, I, I found slightly sinister. As you know, I, I don't necessarily follow um, lower league football that much. I do try to follow the FA Cup a little bit. Um, some of these teams that you know we, we the neutral, romanticise on television, I'm thinking of Crawley, I'm thinking of, uh, of Stevenage, um, 
at their level, and you know, our, our producer here uh, uh, follows uh, uh, is, is a fan of a non-league side. At their level, these teams aren't necessarily liked because they're sort of the bossy millionaires who go and deal the players from from other teams, and they throw, you know, relatively speaking, a lot of money around. So they're romantic to the mainstream, but when you when you get down to the to the micro level, they're the bad guys. Um, Hey, George, is, is this something that we in the national press should make you know, more of a big deal out of? Well, no, probably not, because when, because when they're playing, you know, if they're playing the likes of Man United or Chelsea or Arsenal, you know, the, the, the clubs aren't, you know, the clubs aren't comparable. I mean, yes, okay, if they can afford to pay five grand for a player at their level that might that might put them out of the league of some of their own some of their own competitors but it's not I mean it's sort of it's not relevant um, you know it's not relevant in that sort of national context I don't think the, the one thing which got me I remember this uh, uh, a few years ago with uh, with Gray's Athletic um, when they'd made some kind of run and I, it was on a radio show and, and they had this guy from the club on and and he was talking about you know the, the split in the revenue and how important it was to Gray's Athletic to strengthen the squad to move up and I'm thinking to myself you're supposed to be an amateur side. Like, this is what gets me. When people talk about how important the cup runs are to the club, to making money and so on, what are they going to do with the money? They're simply going to go and, and, and give it to professional footballers. You know, I, 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 I would see the benefit if, if these lower league clubs who, who, who make this money, uh, I say lower league, I, I generally actually mean amateur sides, who, who, who get this money, if they go and if they were somehow forced to make their FA Cup, to spend their FA Cup revenue on the fans, whether it's improving facilities or youth development or so on. But so many of these people, because they like being sort of, you know, local bosses, uh, all they do is take the money and go and spend it on players and then they move up a decision, move down a division. And, and I think most genuine fans, do, you know, who love their team, really could care less what division they're in. Yeah, the lower leagues are just inherently volatile because as soon as you get a good team, your players, your best players will leave and then you have to start again. But I think uh, I think you have to give a lot of credit to the people who do invest in lower league football and own lower league and non-league teams because generally speaking they're, they're losing a large amount of their money. Mm. It's almost like a charity act and eventually you do get these local businessmen who, who are not billionaires who will just run out of money and then the club will be in trouble but uh, as I say it's it's just a very volatile and hand-to-mouth existence for most clubs down there and I, yeah, in the same way that you wouldn't tell a Premier League club how to spend their money, why should you tell a, a non-league club how to spend their it's, money? It's a very difficult balance to be struck as well for, you know, when, when a part-time team decides to go professional is weighing up whether whether to go fully professional because you've got players who are getting sort of expenses paid and and small bits of money paid but have full-time jobs which which might earn them more money than they would be earning if they have the chance to go to a professional full-time club in the in the lower league so it's a very difficult balance to be struck and you know some teams just can't afford to get promoted because um, because of ground regulations and, and things like that. So I mean, there are some there are some real some real heroes down there. At the same time, mismanagement and maladministration is not just something that uh, affects affects teams at the at the at the very top. It affects teams everywhere. All right, time now for some quick hits. Theo Walcott says he dived to win a penalty in Arsenal's 1-1 draw with Leeds. Uh, Arsene Wenger says he didn't. Stuart, as an ex-professional, what do you make of guys who are a little too honest after the fact? And did Leeds deserve more? 
Well, first of all, don't dive in the first place. That's the, that's the problem that Theo Walcott, he dived for, the, for that one. He certainly got a penalty right for the second one. Did Leeds deserve more? I think what they did, they played better than Manchester City did at the Emirates. They closed the ball down high up the field. They stopped Arsenal getting into their passing rhythm and they, they, they got their goal. But they defended too deeply in the, the last 10, 15 minutes and the, and the manager made a mistake by taking off one of their centre forwards and playing five at the back. Simon Grayson lived to fight another day. Uh, Sunderland lose at home to Notts County, who are only 53 places below them in the pyramid. Then again, Steve Bruce plays Angelari, De Silva, Reed, and somebody named Colbeck, four guys who between them have started one more Premier League game this season than our very own George Calkin. Uh, George, that being the case, can we assume that Steve Bruce isn't too bothered? And is that the right attitude? Well, um, Sunderland's team on Saturday was worth in excess of 50 million quid. They had Darren Bent and Athamoa Guillaume, their two record signings up front. Um, I think what Steve Bruce did was uh, attempt to protect the injured players he's got ahead of this weekend's uh, time where derby with, with Newcastle but it certainly came back to, to bite him on the bum having said that if you've got two World Cup quarter finalists in your uh, in your midfield or sorry in your team you should be looking to do better than that for my money Steve Bruce was entirely justified Chelsea rough up Ipswich 7-0 less than 48 hours after Roy Keane gets the boot Tom do you read any significance whatsoever in this result or does Carlo Ancelotti still have a mountain to climb to avoid the sack if you believe that Chelsea's problem was uh, essentially confidence and uh, strikers who weren't scoring, then yes, this is clearly going to boost their confidence and proves that the strikers can score and a clean sheet as well. But uh, ahead of the game against Blackburn, I think that uh, Ipswich was so poor and their defending was so abject that uh, in truth there are lots of problems still at Chelsea that will not be solved by uh, a win against an exceptionally poor uh, team. You believe the biggest problem of all is Abramovich, don't you? He must go. I think the, I was the one with that banner in the Chelsea training ground saying, Ancelotti out, Brambridge out, you're all a disgrace. I think he's only spent, well, how much he's spent? Only 30 million on the team in the past couple of, in the past transfer windows. How are you supposed to survive on that? Yeah, 300 million minimum. <laughs> Um, El Hajouf, not for the first time, gets himself into uh, a little bit of a pickle as uh, as Neil Warnock has a go at him after the game, terming him worse than a sewer rat. Um, basically, what El Hajouf did was he abused um, and, and shouted at um, Jamie Mackey after uh, Mackey collided with uh, with Gail Givet, not knowing supposedly that uh, Mackey had a, a broken leg. Um, Stuart. What do you make of this? I mean, there's a lot of elements here. A, is, should Neil Warnock be calling people sewer rats? B, should he be calling Ahad Juf uh, a, a sewer rat? Uh, C, as a footballer, do you know when a guy has a compound fracture? Well, you don't know when a guy's got a compound fracture. Yes, nobody really likes El Hadjouf, and we do know he's a, a fairly despicable character, but an even worse character is Neil Warnock. How Neil Warnock can call anybody those sort of names, I don't know. I know two referees that say Neil Warnock is an absolute disgrace on the touchline. I've taken a team to Sheffield United when he was manager and some of the comments that he threw on from the side and shouting about how to kick players, he should not be saying anything. He should keep his mouth shut, Neil Warnock. Didn't he used to be a podiatrist or something like that? Uh, a self-publicist, very much so. Poet. And not a good weekend for Northeast uh, football, though Gateshead did draw 2-2 at home to Kidderminster Harriers. Uh, George, it was especially bad for Tony Mowbray's Middlesbrough, who gave up an injury time goal to go down against Burton Albion. Is that just the kind of season it's been for Burrow? Any hopes of turning it around? 
Uh, it is, yeah. By all accounts, they're actually very unlucky against Burton. I mean, uh, again, you can't really look for excuses, but apparently they dominated the game and they played did. played pr- and played pretty well, yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, that's the way it's been, really. Um, they started out the season as favourites uh, for promotion. Now they're looking at avoiding relegation, and what Mowbray has to do this month is sell players and look for a little bit of an uplift wherever he can find it. The good news is that he's loved by Middlesbrough fans. His appointment has protected the base, as it were, and hopefully uh, uh, this summer onwards it's 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 upwards for them. But it's been a very very harrowing season for Middlesbrough. Me, I love Tony Mowbray. Manchester City are held to a two-two draw by Leicester, and their old boss is Van Jorn Eriksson. Tom, to what do you chalk this up? Joe Hart's howler or the master Eriksson getting the better of his former student Mancini? Well, I think, obviously, Joe Hart's howl cost them a goal and probably cost them victory, but uh, the reason it was such a close game is because Man City picked uh, a weaker team than normal. You had Patrick Vieira and some guy called Kolarov, uh, Joe Johnson, he had a mixed team, even Wright Phillips, you know, if I remember him. Uh, so when you pick a slightly weakened team, you're always uh, vulnerable to uh, a surprise or uh, playing slightly worse than uh, your absolute maximum. Gap, here's one for you. Leonardo took over an interside 13 points behind league-leading AC Milan. He's now had two games. How's he getting on, and can he really hope to get back into the title race? Um, I think they can. I mean, the lead is now down to 11 because uh, AC Milan were held to a dramatic 4-4 draw at home by Udinese at the weekend in the boring, goal-shy Serie A. Um, uh, whereas uh, Leonardo took the points in, in both games. It's, it's 11 points. They have two games in hand. They have the head-to-head against AC Milan. So really, one way to look at it, it's really two points that uh, the smiling Brazilian has to make up. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Game. In the meantime, you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find all your news, your gossip, your analysis, and also our web chats. Mine is on Mondays. Patty Barclays is on Tuesdays. Ollie Kays, of course, is a can't miss every Wednesday. Also, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm on there at Marcotti, of course. Tom Dart is on there at Tom Dart Times. And so are some of the other regulars on the podcast, such as Ollie Kay at Oliver K Times and Patty Barkley at P. Barkley Times. We'll be back next Monday taking a look at all the action from the weekend as we have derbies in the Northeast and the Midlands on Merseyside and also United taking on Spurs at White Hart Lane. Thanks so much for your time. Catch you next week. Till then, bye-bye. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.